Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us on Super Bowl Sunday. Why don't you go and stand and we're going to sing and worship a little bit this morning as we get started.
lift it up for Jesus. We're going to continue our worship, but we just want to take a moment. If you walk, when you walked in, if you walked in, that's tricky. There's four spots that you may have noticed that are lit up in the corners of the room. And, and this is because the first of every month we celebrate communion together. And, you know, in, a, in days like these, moments like these, it's, uh, it's important to keep, rem- to keep remembering what's really going on in our hearts, in our lives, in our worlds, the most significant things. We got rocked last week in hearing that Kobe Bryant and a lot of, you know, families were uh, devastated in a helicopter accident. And our hearts go out. Our, we're going to pray on be, uh, for the families as well of those who lost this last week. But they're not the only ones. And on a day like today where it's Super Bowl Sunday, I think it's important that we remember because I think when we, when we think about people like Kobe Bryant and these, and these individuals, these celebrities, these talented people, they become idolized. And it's almost easy for us to like see them as immortal, like that they're, 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 they're unstoppable, like they're, the, the things that affect the rest of us don't affect them. And I think it's shaken a lot of people to their core to see that somebody at the peak of his game, at the, you know, somebody so successful could just like that before God that his life could end you know stuff like that's not supposed to happen to to these people but the reality is is people are just people successful famous invisible silent people are just people and as you walk through these doors this morning the reality is is it's a great reminder that life is so short nobody's promised to live till they're 95 there's no clause in our relationships with God that say you ask Jesus into your life you invite him in and you're gonna have this joyful life you're gonna have all the success and all the goodness in the world and you're gonna live to watch your grandkids and your great-grandkids grow up nowhere says that and that can either be really scary I think when moments like these happen it can cause anxiety in some folks because it reminds us that like we don't have control you don't have control and there's a lot of loss that's going on in our world but my prayer and my hope is that this morning it causes us to remember the ultimate real important things I think God is gonna celebrate with y'all when we go to hang out and have the Super Bowl parties and do all of that stuff God is a God of celebration I don't think there's anything wrong with those things but they're not the ultimate things this morning, there is, this morning there's deeper realities that I think God allows things to help remind us what's going on in your soul today. We know what may be going on in your afternoon, but what's going on in your soul? Where is your heart at? Because those, all these great events and moments can't supplement the reality of an underlying truth that we were destined for eternity. That Jesus promises that he killed death. He destroyed, obliterated death. He overtook it, overcame it. And now we have a promise to live in eternity with him. And for those who claim Jesus this morning, have no fear of death. It is asleep. But we will once again rise with Christ. So today is not a day we will pray for those who are mourning and who have lost and And there are many of you who are dealing with stuff today, that you are going through it. You've experienced, maybe you're grieving something. We're gonna pray, 
because I believe that our God listens. But at any point through the next two songs, we're going to continue our worship. If you would make your way, if, if Jesus is your Lord, make your way to any of the four stations. You're going to take the elements, bring them back to your seat. There's no formality here. So you, as you see fit, this is a time to just thank God for what he is doing in your life. To thank God for, for uh, his gift of life. And then to, to come to him with anything that you feel like is standing in the way between you and him. To make it right. So that we can use this time to truly connect. Not just to sit and listen to service. But for you to engage with God. No matter how close or distant I am from God. There's very little effect on whether you are able to be close or distant from God this morning. And God wants to be connected to each and every one of us in this room. So we're going to worship. And we're going to pray. And I want to just pray over communion as we get started. Because it is an important moment to remember. And we're just going to continue to sing. Can we worship together this morning? Get our hearts recentered, refocused before we go out back into a busy, busy week. God, I just lift up to you the families who have experienced loss, who are grieving this week, who have who've experienced such great pain. Father, it's publicized, and so, so it's, a lot of people are aware of it. But Father, there are others who are experiencing loss and grief who nobody knows anything about. But you do. So, Father, we lift those things up to you because you are not unfamiliar with our pain. You sacrificed your son. You watched your son die. God, I pray that this morning we would just remember and realize that your son, though, came back to life and conquered death once and for all. That we worship you, that we come to you because there is an ultimate reality, an ultimate truth that is not just about living the everyday. It's about living the everyday with you. So I pray that as we partake of communion this morning, that our hearts just would be refocused and recentered. That the deeper truths would begin to, to just sink into the, the depths of our souls. And that we would find ourselves just in awe of who you are. In your name we pray. Amen.
Just as I am, I come. Hallelujah. Oh, what amazing love. If you believe it, let's sing it. Thank you, Jesus. Just as I am, I come. Hallelujah. Oh, what amazing love. Thank you, Jesus. Just as I am, I come. 
write a beautiful story, and I know that there's so many of us that can see that, and that's true for you, it's true for me, sometimes we don't really believe that, because when you're in the middle of it, sometimes things can get kind of ugly, like years ago when I went through experience of losing one job, no fault of anybody else, yeah, you can go ahead and be seated, thanks for that reminder, but when you're in the middle of the story, and wondering what's going on, I thought to myself, I lost this job. I'm not sure about getting a new job. I'm wondering about my family, if I'm going to be able to feed my, all my family. By the way, my name is Bruce. My wife back there is doing the live feed. John is up here as part of the worship ministry. John, Brianne, Malachi, Presley, and Ryan, all part of the family. <clears throat> but at one point in my life, I was looking at the prospect of trying to find a job to fill a gap just to feed my family. But talking with the man who suddenly said, you know what, we've got this fifth grade position here at uh, our school that uh, is open. And the door opened. I watched that. I moved into the position there and then suddenly realizing that there's all female teachers here. And when I met them, they said, oh, Craig's got a buddy. And there was one other male teacher who taught sixth grade in the class there. He and I, we, you know, we've linked up pretty good. We had that male camaraderie in those female staff meetings and had a really good time. Years went by. I, I watched him. He, was, he would decorate his class with craft paper vines and branches to make it look like a huge uh, rainforest jungle. Uh, we would go and, uh, to garage sales, and he would find bits and pieces of material and things like that because he would give them all to the students and say, I want you to make a puppet because we're going to do a puppet show at the end of the year. Yeah, other little quirky things like that. His style wasn't quite the same like as mine was, but the friendship that we developed has lasted for a long, long time. Um, remember the one t thing that was most memorable to me was when I went to him faced with the challenges of my first year of teaching, feeling kind of depressed. And he prayed with me right then and there, stopped for a moment there and said, God is going to take you through this kind of ministry here. Years go by, I eventually faced my retirement. Craig said he had to stay on because he had to work for long enough to be able to collect Social Security. He needed to collect a paycheck. Our lives began to go a little bit different directions here. And for some of you, this may sound kind of silly to you, but I uh, texted him one time, and uh, there was no response. And I tried to call him from other times, but for some reason, we just never really did connect again. He had always talked about moving to Nebraska. And then finally, one day, my wife is talking on her phone, and she hands it to me, and she says, It's Craig! He's on the phone, and he says, Bruce, I've been trying to get a hold of you. What's going on? I felt this overwhelming joy that my friend hadn't died or something like that, and I didn't find out about that. But I thought to myself, uh, since he says we're getting together on Tuesday, that I want to look at him, and I want to say, you know, is there anything that I can do for you to show my gratitude for your friendship over all these years right here? You know what? If you've got somebody who want to show their, your gratitude to them, don't just say, hey, what can I do for you? Just go ahead and do it. So as we're here this morning, the ushers are about to come forward for this morning's offering. Is it a praise of thanksgiving that you can offer? Is it kind of that you want to sing and dance? I'm not into that, but you might be. Um, but to say, have the same kind of heartfelt gratitude and to be able to demonstrate to the Lord for all the things that he's done for you. Will you pray with me as we also look as your ways to give, if you want to do it that way. Father, thank you 
sometimes in the life when it gets ugly we can't see the beautiful story that you're forming in our lives but we do trust as we see others um, see the story that it will eventually play out not pop, you know in all the times the, the way we want it but in the way that you have designed that father we can take great confidence in that thanks as we give today amen on hello hello good morning can we give it up to our Bruce really quick because that was amazing all right you guys good morning I am Presley I'm one of the team members here and I will be giving you today's announcements um first of all if you are in fifth and sixth grade you guys can head out have a great service it is Super Bowl Sunday y'all Woo! Um, it's a great day for us Americans to watch funny commercials, eat great food, and I hear there's a little game going on. It's called Puppy Bowl on the Hallmark Channel, and I will be watching it, all right? Um, no, I'm just kidding. No, we're all excited for Super Bowl Sunday, right? If you're just there for the snacks like me, I'm like, Super Bowl means a big bowl full of chips and guacamole while everyone watches the game. It's going to be so much fun. So a couple announcements we have for you guys right now. Number one, our 2019 contribution statements have been sent out to you guys over email. If you have not received yours yet, that's okay. Go ahead and check your spam folder. And if it's not in that trusty spam folder, um, we do have printed out copies for you guys out at the hot spot. So you can pick them up there as well. Um, if you have any questions this week about those, go ahead and give our office a call. We would be more than happy to help you guys. Also, y'all, Night to Shine is coming up. Who's excited about Night to Shine? We did it last year. What Night to Shine is, is it's a prom celebrating our special needs community. And we are just thrilled to be doing it again this year. Our team has been really working hard to pull it together. Um, so if you would like to be a part of it, tomorrow is actually the last day that you can go ahead and sign up for that. And it's also the last training. So that is mandatory. You do need to have training. Um, so it will be tomorrow. The event is on February 7th. It's going to be at First Assembly Church, and it's between um, 7, oh, 5.30 and 9.30. I almost messed that up for service, but it's 5.30 p.m. to 9.30 at night. So if you want to be a part of that, that would be so awesome, you guys. That same night, on February 7th, we have Parents' Night Out and our Valentine's Day Kids Party. So you parents get a night out, go party, and your kids will be partying with us here as well. It's going to be a great time. So what? So for the kids, it's going to be um, infants all the way to sixth grade, and then for the first two kids per family, it's fifteen dollars. After that, third, fourth, fifth kid, well, then you really need a break, right? So between that, we're going to be doing um, just a discount for you guys. So if you have any questions about that, you can go out to the hotspot. We will let you know about that as well. And then also, Journey Church is so excited because we do have a mission trip coming up to Romania. And so here at Journey Church, we are all about serving the world, serving your community, loving your neighbor, and that's exactly what we are trying to put the plan into motion this year with this missions trip. We want to help people out there. And so um, if you are interested in that, we are going to have right after this service out at the collective, the loft up there, we're going to have a short meeting about it. So if you are want some more information, no pressure, you can sit and listen to what they have to say, but it's going to be a really fun trip. And then for all of you with fussy babies and infants, we actually have a little surprise for you guys. Right outside these two doors across from the nursery, we have a little room that we've been working on for you. And it's just like a little care room. You can go in there if your baby starts crying. 
during the service or anything like that. Um, it is still a work in progress, but it is fully functional if you want to use it, all right? And then also for all of you newbies, welcome to Journey Church. We are so excited to have you guys here. We have a little gift for you out at the hot spot. And I keep saying the hot spot, it's just that little kiosk desk right outside in the, um, by the collective. So that is for you. If you are new, go get something yummy for yourself, um, free of charge. We are just so stoked that to have you guys here. And that is it for me today. So you guys can go ahead and stand up and say hello to someone next to you. pastors here and uh, just a quick shout out go Niners anyway moving on with the morning <clears throat> sorry sorry just had to say the truth before I start everything else excited about it Super Bowl Sunday I hope you guys have a lot of fun you know the football and all that stuff it's fun it's a game some of you guys take it really really seriously great good for you but I just want to say that honestly it's it's about the people we connect with and I'm excited I'm excited you're here today um, because beyond Games and, you know, Super Bowl and the commercials and all that and Puppy Bowl, as she said. You're, you're making a decision this morning. You stepped out of your bed. You got ready, some of you. And you came to church. Mo, you did. And, and you came to church and you, you just like, something brought you here today. And there was a sense in which you wanted to take a further step in your knowledge, in your growth. And your understanding of what's going on in the spiritual realm, you hear it's really important and you're, in the first of the year, you want to make this commitment to really grow in that. And I, and I just applaud you. This is what's happening. I mean, all that stuff later, that's going to be fun and we're grateful for fun things like Super Bowl. But this is really what, this is what life comes from. It's understanding God has planned for you, learning to walk in that. So for the first part of our year, January, we take three weeks and we set it aside as a fast and during that three weeks we invite everybody to participate by giving up food for a season for those of you who can't do that giving up something else that causes your your focus to reorient around your spiritual life because we know that life gets really busy we just get going on things and pretty soon one day turns into the next turns into weeks to, to months to years and you get 10 years from where you were and you're like man I intended to be in a different place right now. But unless you're intentional about it, life just happens. And that's why you were intentional about this morning. We're intentional about the fast. We're intentional about setting aside the first of our year to really refocus our lives on what's most important. The first of our week, as we come together as a community of faith and celebrate the good things of God and learn to grow and be more and more like him. And then the first of our tithe, the first of our income, it's like we, we put God first because that's really what we understand to be the most important. Let me just go about this, but what does it mean to grow 
spiritually. We're in this series. We're talking about your best life because this is what we believe. We believe God wants you to live your best life. We believe God had a purpose and a plan when he thought of you, when he dreamed you up, when he created you, he had something in mind. And so we're trying to discover, we're unpacking, what does it look like for you to live your best life? And what does it really look like? Two spiritual truths, two foundational truths that are really, really simple today. I'm going to keep this simple. And here they are. There is a God, and it is not you. You know this, right? You didn't need to come to church for that. But the thing is, the point is this. That means your life is not your project. This is not project self. Church is not just another self-help program to get you to that ultimate reality of the fully actualized you. This means you're God's project. You were actually created on purpose. The reason you walked this, or I know a lot of you feel like you're self-made people, but you were not. You did not make yourself. You came from somewhere, and God had an intention, a purpose, a meaning behind that. It was his idea, and this is really important. As a matter of fact, Paul in his letter to the church of Ephesus said it this way. For we the followers of Jesus, the people of God's of the way. We are God's handiwork. Another translation says masterpiece. Whose masterpiece? God's. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works for which God prepared us in advance to do. In other words, you're not your own handiwork. You are not your own project. You are not totally responsible alone for who you are becoming. This is really good news. I mean, every once in a while you do good work, and when that happens, you do something really cool. You, you feel a little bit like a connection to something bigger than you, and you feel like really good inside. I mean, I mean maybe you've done this. You, you get a little glimpse of who God made you to be. Maybe you say something, and it inspires somebody, or you help a homeless person that everybody else just overlooked, or you're extra patient with a three-year-old when you really didn't want to be, or you get lost in wonder and beauty at a sunrise or a sunset or a piece of music, and you just feel like there's this connection to something greater. Maybe you fall in love, you have an idea, you offer compassion, you stand up to a bully that nobody else will stand up to. Or maybe you make a sacrificial gift, maybe you fix something, you do something, you forgive an old hurt. Maybe you move beyond something. Maybe you say something normally you would not say in a moment where it just seemed to be the right thing and it was the right thing. Or maybe you don't say something you normally would say at just the moment you should not say it and you feel really good about the fact that you didn't say it. All of these moments when you kind of connect with something greater than yourself and you realize, man, there, there's, a, there's a way in which I live. There's, there are things and decisions I make where I feel really good. I feel like... I'm, I'm doing something in line with God's purpose, God's plan. You're getting a little glimpse of why God made you, what God is up to, when he thought of you. And you need to understand that God wants you to reach your full potential. God wants you to live your best life. And this is God's plan. It's, it, what would that look like if you were to live your best life? It wouldn't look like everybody else. By the way, God made you very unique. When you get to heaven, he's not going to say, why aren't you more like Dave? He's probably going to say, why aren't you more like you? This is the, the gift of God's creativity. He made you very special. And God is more concerned about you reaching your full potential than you are. Let me say that again. God is more concerned with you reaching your full potential than you are. 
Now, he has many, many tools at his disposal, and he uses them in our life, kind of like a craftsman with a great big chunk of granite chiseling out a beautiful work of art. You are God's handiwork. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's work of art. And he's very, very patient, sometimes to our own pain and chagrin, that God is going to continue working. He won't give up. Now, Jesus made some staggering promises about God's ability to transform us and how God does this work. And that's what we're talking about today. How do we continue to walk in this best life? And what we find ourselves in John chapter 7, there's a feast going on. And this is where Jesus breaks down something that I want to spend a little time on today. Jesus, in John chapter 7, there are three big feasts in Israel. One of them is the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's very much like our Thanksgiving. This is where the people gather and they honor God with this incredible big meal and they celebrate. There's worship. There's just dancing and food and all this. And the abundance of God is put on display so they can say, look what God has done. Look how good the God we serve is. What a good God God is. And so this is the beginning of that feast. This is where that feast is happening. People are all gathered. Now the highlight of that feast is a moment where the priest, the high priest, would go down to the Pool of Siloam and there would be a parade. Everybody would follow him and he would take a golden pitcher. And in the Pool of Siloam, by the way, there were no natural rivers running through Jerusalem. There were on the borderlands, there was a, you know the Jordan and all these things, but through Jerusalem, through the city, there was no natural. So they had this little carved out, hand-carved aqueduct that fed this little pool called the Pool of Siloam. So the people would go to this place. Water was precious. They would take the golden pitcher. The priest would take it. He would dip it. And he would carry it with celebration, pomp, and all kinds. It was a parade. And everybody's just going nuts like Super Bowl. And they would go all the way. They would follow this parade. We'd go all the way back to the temple. And we got to the temple. They would do such an extravagant thing. It's, it, it was kind of unexpected. They would pour the water out on the dry ground. These were desert people. Water was life. It was precious. It was, it was a reminder that the God they served was like the provider. This is what they, they were saying. Like, God, you have given all things. This is an offering to remember, to, for, for us to remind ourselves that you bring, the, you bring the water. And they poured it out. And it was a reflection back to when the children of Israel were leaving Egypt. And God, they were in the desert and they were completely in a barren spot. And God gave them water from a rock. So they were looking back at the time when God provided. They were looking right now that God had provided this water as a symbol of their life with him. But not only that, this is a promise. This is a look forward. This water was a reminder of a yearning that they all had inside that God would one day provide Messiah. That the reign of God would begin on earth through Messiah. He would come and he would set the right things in place and he would punish the evil and he would celebrate the good and he would raise up the kingdom of God and it would be a forever kingdom that they would participate in as the people of God. This was all taking place at this, this festival. They were celebrating this stuff and this is what happens on that day. You've got to see the juxtaposition of this. On that day, in that time, probably in, near that moment, as the priest is pouring out the water, celebrating the past, the present, and the future work of God in the world, Jesus stands up and he says this. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Now just picture that. 
Here's Jesus with the, I mean, he's standing, there's the priest with the pitcher of water pouring it out, talking about the coming reign of God, and here's Jesus saying the reign of God is beginning. Here it is. That water that you're yearning for, hey, that's, that's a temporary fix, but those of you who yearn, those of you who are thirsty, come to me. Come to me. I mean, this was such a powerful statement of who he was and what God was doing in the world that it's like people would have been like, wait a minute, this the picture of this water being poured out, this life now that is being given. And when he says, to those who are thirsty, to be thirsty doesn't just mean you're some spiritual giant as a reflection of, you know, some spiritual, you know, pious desires. To be thirsty means you are deeply discontent with the way things are. You know things are not as they should be. There's, you're not happy about everything. You have unsatisfied longing. And Jesus is saying, all of you who are dissatisfied, those of you whose longings are deep, all of you who are discontent, all you whiners, any whiners today? Not really whiners. All of the, you know that things are not as they should be, and something inside of you yearns for that more. You yearn for the reign of God, for the things to be made right. You yearn for your spirit to reconnect with the Creator. Those of you who yearn for this, you long for this. Let anyone who is thirsty... Come to me and drink. So what is he saying? He's like the priest that is going to give life and pour out water. Well, he's saying that there's more than that. You start to see the supernatural nature of what he's calling out here because he wasn't standing there with a pitcher of water. He's saying, come to me. Come to me. And he doesn't say, and you'll have enough to drink. He doesn't say, and, and your thirst will be satisfied. Catch what he says. Whoever believes in me as the scripture has said, we'll have streams of living water flowing from within. By this he meant the Spirit, whom he, those who believed in him were to receive later, right? Come to me, you thirsty people, those of you who have unsatisfied desires, as the King James says, and out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. My gosh, this, not only will you be satisfied, you will have enough that you'll just gush on people around you. Jesus is saying for those who enter the stream of life, that, he is, that those who partake of the water of life that he's offering, he's going to fill that spot, that yearning, that, that deep soul, just craving that you have. He's going to fill the needs and the desires that, that dwell within a human being that can't be fulfilled with physical tastes and physical you know, aspirations and physical things. I mean, it's all mirage. You know what a mirage is, right? When you look and it looks like there's water on a dry space and it looks like, oh, that, that's what our world is doing with all of the things like money and wealth and power. And those things are mirages that promise a fulfillment, but as you try to pursue them, they just keep moving. And it's Jesus is saying, when you come to me, I'm going to give you a source of water that not only is going to satisfy the soul, it is going to be an abundant well that's going to just gush out around you. It's like where you go, the presence and power of God, the presence and the sense of God's well-being, the reign of God will go with you. It'll be like a, like, like a fountain that's just pouring all over the place. He says, out of your belly. Now, the belly is the place deep down. I'm sucking mine in right now, but the belly's a big thing. And in our day and time, I mean, don't people talk a lot about abs? I mean, like abs, you talk about all these ab things in our, in our culture, our world promises ab satisfaction, Right? Buy this ab roller or buy this twisty turny thing and do this and, you know, you're going to have this six pack and I'm, you know, I'm with you guys. I got, I'm working on the keg, but it's just like, look at it. 
But this, all this talk about the, or the core, the belly, the, the center place, Jesus has some really important things to say about our core. I mean, it's big with athletics and exercise, but Jesus is saying there's an empty, hollow spot inside your core. Jesus is saying there's a yearning that takes place because that core is unsatisfied. There's something internally that wants more. And that he has come to answer the call of that part of you. That he is the response to your soul's craving. Where you feel those butterflies inside, that deep down place that you yearn. The word that he uses here is proleia. It's the word that we use, we get our word colitis from that, which is basically um, a sickness that takes place because of stress and, and tension and all that deep down inside. It is a reflection of your inner life, right? He's saying that inner life will reflect. It, it will flow with energy, with hope, with joy, with anticipation, with beauty. Without your having to manufacture, without you having to fake it, without you having to just make it up, it will, it will happen if you come to me and receive the life I'm giving. So over and over he describes this life. And later on in John chapter 10, he talks about this with his people. He calls them his flock. He calls them his children or his, his flock. He says, listen, this is the thief comes. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that my people might have life. And this, like, this, this word life here is a great word for salvation. Because before you come to Jesus, the world, the world that we live in is just... It's just a complete reminder of this. It's a place of death. It's a place of brokenness. And that's, this place is not alive. And, and to come to Jesus is not just to enter a self-help program. It's just not to make a bad person a good person. It's to make dead people alive. And only Jesus can do that. That's why he's saying, come to me and I will give you life. Salvation is life. It's to be alive. And then he goes on, he says that I will give you life, but not only just regular life, he's going to give us like super salvation, life to the full, with an abundance, with it just bubbling out of your ears. It's just like it's going to be too much for you to contain. And when you go through the New Testament, these promises of life, of transformation, of, of a, a resource that happens to take place inside of you, rivers of living water, they're really staggering. And, and Jesus is the source of these kinds of conversations and this kind of concept. And, and Peter reflects it later when he's reflecting on what he's learned from Jesus. And he's talking, he says this in 1 Peter 1.8, he goes, Though you've not seen him, he's talking to a group of people who had not been around Jesus but had come to believe in him. He says, you've not seen him and are filled with inexpressible glorious joy. He goes, just having come into the stream, even though you didn't know him personally, you've come to know this glorious Joy, inexpressible joy. This is actually going on in you. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. So this is God's plan, right? This is what it looks like to live your best life. It's a life that you are literally overflowing with joy and beauty and abundance. That the goodness of God isn't just in you, but it's flowing out of you. That it expresses itself in tr just trusting God, loving each other, living from that place deep in the heart. This is your best life. This is what we're after. Now, right now, there are two versions of you. There's the you that God dreamed of when he thought of you. There's the you that God 
created when he introduced you to Jesus and invited you to live the full life. There's a life that is the potential you. And then there's the other life, which is the life you're actually living. Now, anybody recognize any gap between those two? The ideal life that God has invited you into that's full of abundance and joy and overflows to point, it's just coming out of your ears. Everybody around you notices. Is there any difference between that life and the life you're actually living? Well, many of you would say, okay, there's a gap. So what the problem is, well, how do we close the gap? We all think that we have to close this gap and that it's up to us to close it. I mean, many of us, it's just like our whole job, we put ourselves on this discipline routine just to close the gap with Herculean strength, spiritual fortitude, we're going to we're going to close that gap. And many of us thought that we would close the gap if we just tried harder. Many people beat themselves up because they think their problem is you're just not spiritually heroic enough. You're just not doing enough spiritual stuff to close that. And I see this all the time. Somebody will say, man, I, this year I'm going to read more spiritual books. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really go into the scriptures more deeply or I'm going to listen to more podcasts. I'm going to, and you just kind of fill in the blanks. I'm going to serve more. I'm going to give more. I'm going to be nicer to people, whatever. And you hear about someone who gets up at 4 a.m. and they're like the spiritual giant. You read about, you know, Jonathan Edwards or one of these great spiritual people and you're like, oh my gosh, these people changed the world. And, and look at this, they had this spiritual practice. They got up at 4 a.m. and prayed for three hours and it's like, oh my gosh, and you start feeling guilty. Like, I should pray more. I'm not really good at prayer and so maybe I should get up and pray early in the morning. And, and so you like set your discipline out. You're like, for, okay, for, for the next whatever, I'm going to go ahead and start praying like this. And so the problem is you're not a morning person, some of you. And the problem is at 4 o'clock in the morning, you're just cranky and delirious and out of touch with yourself. You're groggy. You're confused. Nobody wants to be around. Jesus doesn't want to be around you at 4 a.m. Until you've had your coffee, let's be honest. I mean, the cat doesn't like you. This is the problem. You think, well, but it's, you know, this is really hard and it's exhausting and it's really difficult for me and, and I don't really like it, so it must be God's will for my life. <laughs> How many people have this mindset that God's out to punish me? I mean, it's like taking, you know, Geritol or whatever. It's like, the, just get it down. Spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. I remember for a while, somebody was telling me that this stuff called apple cider vinegar is going to be great for my body. And I'm like, awesome. You know, I need something that's great for my body. My body's a mess. And so I need to start taking stuff for my digestion. So I would just down like a, you know, a quarter cup of the stuff a night. And I'm like, Bleh, you know. And then I read that it's, no, it's like two teaspoons and a quarter cup of water. And so I had, had the formula all wrong, but I'm like, well, it's the, you know, I'm supposed to do this. It's terrible, but it's good for me. Some of you approach your relationship with God that way. It's really, really hard, and I don't like it, but it's the right thing, so I'm going to just muscle through. It'll make me better somehow. I don't know how. It's like just miraculously supposed to make me better if I just do these things. <clears throat> Pardon me. Fighting off a little dryness of soul. <clears throat> That was a joke. Okay, moving on. <clears throat> but you do this. So you, you, you begin a practice of some sort, and you like, you're trying it for a few days, and then maybe weeks or, or months or whatever. But eventually, what's the cycle look like? Okay, so there's this guilt that makes you feel like, I should do that, or a yearning, or a longing. And so you're like, you set up a, a will into action. I'm going to do this thing. You make a purpose, a plan, and you begin to act it out. And then what happens? And then something happens, and you fail. Something comes up, the world changes, you just realize you can't keep it up, and so you quit. And then what do you feel? Wonderful. 
right, you feel like a failure. You feel like, okay, I screwed up again. I just, I came up short again. I did it again. So there's guilt again. So the cycle, there's guilt, and then there's desire, and then there's this longing, and so there's this plan, and then there's this failure, and you just keep doing this. The truth is, you're tired. <clears throat> and Jesus, is in the, his invitation is to those of you who are weary of well-doing, those of you who are weary of the cycle of guilt and failure, and just this, for those of you whose souls long for something more, I, w- I want to move you into a new life. A stream of life. All right? And some of you, you're, you're tired. And it's not just, a, I'm, you're thirsty, but it's not just like I'm physically thirsty. There's a soul thirst. And, and you're yearning deep. And you, you just think, maybe I have to rededicate myself. Maybe I should try a new spiritual tradition, do a different church. This one's not doing it for me. Or just, maybe I have to fake it, make everybody think I'm doing good. Or maybe I'm just going to give up and just pray that I still get to heaven. You know, I, don't, I just don't know how to keep it up. But here's the question. What if Jesus was right? What if he really meant what he said about there being rivers of living water available to those who want it, who are thirsty and desire, who have a longing in their belly, even yours, and that he would fulfill it? What if, what if he was saying something that's true? What if it is possible for you to live a life that is like a stream flowing from somewhere deep within that just continues to, to just give you thriving and flourishing but you don't get there by trying harder. You don't get there by hyping it up. You don't get there by high-fiving everybody. Yeah, we're going to do it this time. So this is the life Jesus is inviting us into. And I want to just read a couple more scriptures about who is at work when we come to Jesus to begin this life. Philippians 1.6, Paul writing to the church of Philippi, says, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, who began the work? God. God's going to, he will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Somebody's like, when is that? Well, by the way, we're going to do two series from now. Next series is a relational series, and then we're going into a series called The Return. We're going to talk about this end time stuff and find out a little bit more about what that looks like, Jesus' return. But he's saying, it is God who's doing this incredible work. Paul says to the same church, you know, just a little bit later, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. What is he working out? He's working to will and to act according to his good pleasure. He is working inside of you to get your will to conform more and more to the kind of life that is life to the fullest. He is working in you. The cooperation part, you saw that. Continue to work out this part. There's a cooperation. But who's doing the work? God. Move on. Second Corinthians, he tells the church in Corinth. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, what's that word? Freedom. Oh, man. I mean, nobody said it better than John Wallace. But freedom. Freedom. You know, this is what you and I yearn for, especially if you come from a background like some of us that was much more legalistic about just trying to make a really angry God happy, and you just feel like you're always coming up short. This concept that Jesus is inviting us into, where the stream of life, where the spirit of God is at work, there's this incredible freedom. Freedom. He goes on. I'm free. It's all about freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed, now he's talking about the people who have come to trust in Jesus and how there's a spiritual reality where there's a darkness or a 
this veil that we could not see eternal things or understand the, the complex things beyond that, that God removes that veil, right? When we put our trust in him. He said, so all of us who have had that veil removed, no mask, no more hiding, we can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, now who's doing the work? The Lord, the Spirit, He makes us more and more like Him. Not from me or you, but the Lord, who's the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him. As we are changed into His glorious image. So here's what happens. I think a lot of people, when we first encounter this reality that there is a life available to us, that... We are disconnected from God. The Bible's really clear about this. You feel this. We see it all in the world around us. That people disconnected from that source of life are dead. And the Bible talks about trespasses and sins. In other words, and you, you've just compounded it. You know it's already there. It's a reality. It's a physical thing. You know, it's, it's a spiritual thing. You are disconnected from God because of the sins you've committed. And you know that a holy God, you don't have a right to stand in His presence. But you sense that there's a yearning to do that. So what do you do? You want to come to him. There's only one way to come to him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's like this chasm. It's like the Grand Canyon. You're on one side, God's on the other. We want to bridge this chasm. But can you do this on your own? Can you jump, make the leap from sinful brokenness to perfection to God? Can we do that? It's a simple 50-50 chance. Yes or no? No. Okay, we cannot. There's a gap. The gap is called sin. We can't bridge that on our own. That's why when Jesus stretched it out, he reached from heaven to earth and said, it is finished. He became the human bridge, the God bridge, the human and divine bridge. And he brought man and God together through his sacrificial death. He took on our sin. He became the bridge we can cross. So then when we enter that life, and anybody can enter that life, when they choose, they can enter that by putting their faith in Jesus, giving themselves to him and receiving his forgiveness. And anyway, if you haven't done that, I pray you do. It is literally the beginning of your forever life with God. You can pray, just a simple prayer to do that today. But here's what happens. Once people become a Christian, once they realize they can't do it themselves, that Jesus did that for them, that they have no hope whatsoever other than to trust in him and throw themselves at his mercy, they receive that gift of life. And they're so grateful for it. But then they think, well, now that I'm here, there's still a gap between the person I want to be, the person that God calls me to be, and the person I am. So I guess to bridge this gap... I'm on my own. God took care of the forgiveness gap, and now it's the sanctification gap, and so I, I'm on this journey that's all my own. God wants me to be pure and live holy and righteous and all this. Well, okay, well, that's where I have to do my part. Folks, the gap is still sin. It's the same thing. The question is, can I bridge that through human effort? The answer is no, I cannot. The problem is, a lot of people think, well, I was saved by grace, but I guess now it's just all about human effort. That's called legalism. I'm going to earn my way. I'm going to keep my place at the table by being a good enough kid. I have to get from here to there by what I do. And not just that you're saved by grace. Folks, you were invited to live by grace. You were invited to live in grace. You were invited to sit at the table as one of the kids. And when you screw up, to get back up and continue your journey with God. It's living by grace. Becoming that new person happens by what God is up to inside of you. And your cooperation with that is part of it. But if you think that it's on you, it's up to you, that you are somehow a self-improvement project, you're going to get yourself there. God got you to salvation. Now you get yourself basically pure and holy. You've got, you've got a whole lot of heartbreak and disappointment ahead. It's just not going to happen. 
When I first came to God, my experience was primarily I was forgiven. And grace is forgiveness. But it's more than that. Grace is a manner in which I live. It's, it's, a, it's a stream in which I enter that I kind of live in that. God was gracious before there was even a human on the earth. He created everything out of grace. God's plan for you is to live every day by grace. This is such a powerful thing. Sometimes we think that people who are sinners need grace. But let me just tell you, saints need it just as much. I love what Dallas Willard said. Dallas said this, saints burn way more grace than sinners ever could. Because saints run on it. It's like rocket fuel. It's like food. It's, that's the idea of grace. Now, grace is something, I'm not talking about just doing whatever you want and just trusting God's grace. That's not the plan at all. That's not, in fact, that's living very different from stepping into the stream of life Jesus offered. Grace is what we're intended to live on. Grace is the generosity of God. And, and it looks different. Experience, we experience it now as power to do what I want to do, but I cannot do. That's the grace of God. It continues to live and grow in me, but it grows into this ability to step into the power that the Spirit gives me to live differently. The picture of Jesus uses is the life in the Spirit is the picture of a river. And it's all throughout Scripture. I love this. 150 times thereabouts, the Scriptures talk about a river. And so many of those references, oftentimes, those are spiritual connected. It's, it, it's an image of spiritual life and grace. And there's a good reason for that. Israel, as we mentioned, is a desert country, much like the AV, only more. They did not have our technology to drill great big machines to drill wells 300 feet into the ground to get water. They didn't have concrete to bring water from 600 miles away and bring it right to our front door. And plumbing and pipes and all of this kind of thing. They had a couple little pools of water that were aqueduct driven, and then they had the rains that fed their entire world. If the rains did not come, the farms died. If the, gra the grain would not grow without rain, they had to have the rain. And so without the grain, the harvest would die. Without the harvest, the animals would die. Without the animals and the harvest, the people would die. So they were completely dependent upon God. And the river, the streams, the water, they would do what they had in Israel are these things called wadis. And basically they're just like little culverts, like natural grooves like we see when we have a runoff and it just creates this rut. What would happen is in the rainy seasons, those little things would become streams of water. They would just fill up and it would just kind of run and they would talk about these little wadis as the streams of life. And so when Jesus is talking about the streams of life, they're immediately picturing the rainy season when God brings the, you know, the flourishing back to the dry land. And if the rains didn't come, we die. So this is the goodness of God. Grace is the river that runs through your life. The Spirit of God that you step into and you live in that is like the wadi of the, the river of life that is constantly feeding you, your spirit. Genesis 2 starts with a river. There was a river running through the garden and it broke into four headwaters and anyway, it goes on. Revelation talks about this, the river of life that runs through the very throne of the place of God, like the city of God. There's a river. So it begins and ends with a river. The stream of life is a metaphor that runs all throughout this that you are meant to be near and part of the thriving life that God is bringing. How do we do that? Psalms 46 is a reflection. It says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. That's life. 
Because where the river flows, we flourish. Where the river dries up, we die. Psalms 41, I'm sorry, 42.1. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants or longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I come and appear before my God, the psalmist said. He's declaring that, man, I want to step into the stream. My soul yearns for this. Everybody probably, you know, you may have learned those songs when you're younger. What I'm, what I'm learning, what we, we have to learn is that if I'm cut off from the Spirit of God, my life will be a life of unsatisfied desire. And I will begin to try and fill it with other things. And those other things will give me brokenness and separation and more guilt and more shame because the things are not meant to fill my soul. So what we get, Jesus said, I'm the life. And today, just as we wrap up, I just want to touch base on a couple really practical things about this. Here's God. Here's grace. Every breath you take, every thought you think, every move that you make, the impulse that starts up here and goes out and you channel that into motion that you choose and intend. It's all grace. There's a river. It's called time. There's a river. All of this, this is life. This is grace. This is God's gift to us. But there's more than that. There's a, there's a, there's the Spirit of God that is now available to all who put their faith in Jesus, who not only gives us life, but He gives us abundance. He guides us. He speaks to us. He prompts us. He leads us, either by yearnings, by His, his voice. The Spirit of God speaks to us through Scripture. Scripture is where, where we get our faith. And, and the reason we read the Scripture is not just because, well, you know, it's like the medicine. i got to take it. I don't really like it, but i got to. The reason we read Scripture is because faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from the Word of God. The way you step into the streams of learning the ways and the voice of God, Scripture is one of them. The reason we pray, the, the disciplines we've been talking about, the reason we pray is not because you just need something to do in the mornings or you have a ex little extra time on your hands you don't know what to do with. The reason we pray is because that's when we entertain the great God of the universe in relationship. That's when we get to just sit in His presence and delight in Him. The reason we meditate is because it just helps us focus in on who He is and how good He is and what a great God our God is. And, and that he's offering life. It reconnects us in the stream. The reason we pray is it just puts us right back in the stream where we're saying, God, I want whatever's going on up there, whatever your plans are, to be here. I want to live in the kingdom way. I want to live in the flow of grace. I want to live in this. I want to thrive in this. And what we do now is what we, we try to learn is how to stop, how to remove the barriers that keep us from this life of grace, from growing and the growth that happens when God's doing what he wants, when we're in the stream. Because what does my life look like when I'm actually living in the flow of grace? Well, it looks like this as I'm walking through a store just yesterday and God just prompts me just to befriend or be kind to a certain individual and just a conversation, just a little, just a little spark of life that just engages over a prompting. It looks like as I'm pulling into the gas station and there's a person there that looks like they're having a really rough day so I pause and I'm having a really busy day and I don't want to pause but I sense that this is the spirit this is the river this is the stream of grace that God is inviting me into and I stop and I have a conversation or just a little chat it's something that comes alive and I sense that that was God it's when I see something happening in the world around me somebody's going through a 
personal need and I just feel prompted that I can do something about that and, and I step into that stream when it's something that I've been saying or thinking and I realize there's a prompting that that is not really giving me the life that is actually taking me elsewhere and I say I'm going to stop that I'm going to I'm going to put that to an end not because there's some commandment against it it's because I realize this is not the life that Jesus offered and it's taking life from me this is again it's all about the motivation you can do the rules for the rules sake or you can walk in freedom come to me all of you who are thirsty, Jesus said, and I will give you life. So what does my life look like? It's about more than just adding activities. It's about flourishing, living deeply. It's not having to be afraid anymore. Because I'm trusting God for my everyday stuff. It's, it's being rooted in God so that I can believe him for other people's lives that are not where they should be. But I'm praying that God will reshape them. It's about trusting him with outcomes that I have no control over. It's about not worrying anymore. It's about listening. It's about confronting. It's about forgiving. It's about all of those things that God prompts you to do day by day, moment by moment, as you do what Jesus said, abide in me. And let my words abide in you. You can ask whatever you will and it'll be given. Abide in me. Abide in me. This is what we're talking about. Blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. His confidence is in him. He's like a tree planted by the water that needs that sends its roots out to the stream. Life. Folks, we've got to let you go. I know there are some of you who have something to do today. But the rest of you, can I pray over you? Because we're going to pick this again next week, and we're going to continue on this journey of what it means to have your best life. But I want to pray for you. Because some of you, there's something that God may have just whispered. That stream of life is just kind of beckoning you. You just realize that stepping into that stream, listening to the Spirit, the promptings, following the voice of God is something that's new to you. But it, it's something you yearn for. I want to pray that this week would be a week. And let this week be this. Listen for the voice. Follow the promptings. Don't quench the Spirit. Move with Him. If you get off, rather than beat yourself up, just confess it. Get back on the stream. Just get back in. Let this week be a week where you just, the whole week, I'm listening for the promptings, following the voice. Let's pray. God, as we close, so much about our lives. It exists in the simple realm of just learning to trust you, listen for your voice, and follow your promptings. Your scripture puts all those promptings into words, perhaps, but more than that, it's a relationship where you you begin to, to lead us day by day, moment by moment, decision by decision, relationship by relationship. And God, we want, we want this. We yearn for this. That's why all of us can resonate with what you said. With, are you thirsty? Is there something deep inside your core that yearns for more? We can connect with that. And we want to come and have that life. For everybody in the room today, Lord God, that's yearning for that, my prayer is this, that they would make a decision, first of all, to put a full surrender of their life in your hands. To confess anything and everything that may come to their minds that you remind them of, that has separated them from you, that has kept them from walking in this life, that they can confess it and just surrender it to you for forgiveness and healing. And then, Lord God, that we would step into the stream of your spirit as you take up residence in us and begin to lead us into the life that is truly life. That is our prayer. We ask it, trust it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Stand with me, folks. We're going to close one last song, and we'll send you out to Super Bowl time.
Sunday and we look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great day.